Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, where we bring you weekly conversations with purpose-driven leaders. Our focus is to share meaningful conversations with purpose-driven people having a big social impact in our community. Our mission is to enable you to listen, connect, and grow. You can learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au. When it comes to sustainable and ethical fashion, it's such a complex um, area and there's so many people that feed into and contribute to one item of clothing. So with accreditations, it's so hard to accredit a label 100%. Welcome back to the pod, and it is great to have you back with us as always. Well, those are the wise words of Edda Hummer, who is the co-founder of Undress Runways, talking about some of the challenging uh, issues that are being dealt with in the ethical fashion space. Today's podcast is proudly brought to you by Assemble. Assemble delivers projects where good design, community, and sustainability go hand in hand. The Assemble model project is at 393 Macaulay Road, Kensington, is a first of its kind, offering residents a flexible five-year lease with an option to purchase at the end. The project received a great response with all homes allocated to residents. Assemble achieved recognition for their service design and social impact, receiving a Good Design Award, Driven by Design Award and a Premier's Design Award. And the Assemble model has been identified as one of Resilient Melbourne's Resilient Communities, an initiative of 100 resilient cities pioneered by the Rockefeller Foundation. You can join the waiting list for 393 Macaulay Road or you can register your interest at assemblecommunities.com for information on upcoming projects. And we will have a link in the show notes. If you are enjoying the podcast each week, becoming a Patreon supporter is a way that you can show your support, recognition and love for the podcast and I can reward you in turn for doing so. So if you want to join our terrific uh, team of Patreon supporters, Misha D and wife times two, Joel Ferrin, Stuart M and McCartan, um, then do head to uh, patreon.com slash humans of purpose or just head to the link in the show notes. Well, Edna, it is awesome to have you back uh, at the Humans of Purpose uh, studio. Welcome. Thank you. I just uh, inadvertently before disclosed the address, which wasn't a good look, yeah. but I'm glad I could catch you before netball. Uh, it's great to see you again. Yep. Cheers. You are the uh, co-founder at Undress Runways. Correct. And I've heard amazing things about you from the young Felicity Fury. Yes. <laughs> why, why don't you take me into your journey as to how you got here in, uh, in as much or as little detail as you like back in time? For sure. Uh, I started Undress with a couple of friends back in 2011 after doing a very experimental fashion show called Frock It um, straight out of university. And we got together and just decided that after a lot of research, uh, the sustainability in the industry wasn't being talked about and ethical and sustainable designers didn't really have a platform Um, with a spotlight on it to elevate the work that they're doing and educate customers on the practices that they are um, weaving into their collections. So we thought this is a really great opportunity to create a really fun and engaging event where designers that create sustainable and ethical collections can showcase on the runway, can network with guests um, and really sort of push the industry forward. So it's sort of literally giving a platform to ethical and sustainable fashion. Yeah, yeah, through through an event. So through through like interactions um, with people and their customers and I guess through something that's 
really meant to be fun. Like it's the the experience is about bringing people together and there's live music and there's drinks and food from the local local businesses and it's really like a celebration of these designers. So how does it tie in? I mean, I know you've got a deep background in the SDGs and the global uh, system around uh, human rights. Let, let's talk maybe a little bit to start off with about how that all comes to pass and how that intersects with your your passion and your industry here. Yeah. After six years running Undress Runways um, and really digging into the industry, exposing stories around supply chains, child labour, pollution, um, we had a magazine. We have a magazine that we brought out. Uh, the the UN was looking for seventeen young leaders to champion the sustainable development goals, and they ran a uh, big round of nominations in two thousand and sixteen. And I was lucky to be nominated and selected out of uh, a pool of eighteen thousand uh, nom- nominees, and together with seventeen other young leaders, I think, sorry, 17 in total. Uh, we, yeah, we connected with the UN and were able to learn more about the goals and how to um, communicate these goals to our community. And I guess as well, they were looking at elevating the work that we were already doing, which were which was aligning with the goals as examples um, to how to promote these goals. Here are some examples mm. that are already existing today. Um, so that, yeah, reflect sort of indicating undress runways. So that's a fascinating process. Let me ask with the, um, the, the cilia questions. So first of all, were there 17 because of the 17 SDGs? Uh, possibly. People, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that some people uh, think that I am one SDG, yeah. like which SDG are you? SDG? Are you? you don't present like an SDG. <laughs> you look like a proper human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we don't necessarily represent one SDG. Yep. At the end of the day, they're all so so interlinked. Uh, and there's actually another round of UN Young Leaders that have been announced at the end of last year. Um, and, and it's exciting to see sort of the program continuing. Absolutely. And my second question is, what does it feel like to be one in 18,000? Um, I definitely, is it imposter syndrome? Yeah, I definitely thought they probably got this wrong. Um, I, yeah, I got that. It was a fairly simple, straightforward process. I got an email where they said, you know, you've been shortlisted. Can you fill out an extended application? And coming together and meeting the other young leaders. Um, yeah, I don't, I have no idea how they selected 17 out of 18,000 applicants. And I think, and they were really clear as well about the fact that it wasn't necessarily that we were the best 17. It's not at all about, yeah, sort of r- ranking young mm, leaders like course. that. I think at the end of the day, we represented different geographical areas. We represented different industries. We were a really diverse group of people that, um, yeah, that were a good representation of the initiatives that were happening around the world. So, yeah. And so how has that um, played out in terms of your own uh, work? Do you kind of do more of a focus on the SDGs? Are you more SDG promoting as part of that? Absolutely. Uh, for the... For the event at the end of the year, Andres has an event coming up in November. We will be integrating the SDGs. I think we're picking about six SDGs to focus on um, and we'll have speakers and keynotes around those SDGs. I think they're such a great way to 
uh, create sort of common ground or a common language to have discussions with people from either different sectors or you know, bridging the gap when you're speaking with government or corporates mm-hmm. as a not-for-profit, it's definitely created this common language that everyone can relate to. I couldn't agree more. I think um, one of the powers that the SDGs unlocked, maybe as opposed to the Millennial Development Goals, is that just sort of simplicity and the the ability to lock down on a broad theme and targets within that theme and then, you know, to do partnerships um, across the different sectors that absolutely head towards those goals. Absolutely. I think, yeah, and partnerships, like this is this is the key to unlocking the SDGs, I think. Um, a big focus for our event at the end of the year is helping people like bust the bubble that they're in. I think, you know, we're living in these bubbles where we're fed um, the same information on social media, mm. but being able to bust our bubbles out of our industries and connect with diverse thought, diverse experiences, um, and start to look at the problems that we need to solve in a different light from a different perspective. Um, This is a big, big theme for us at the end of the year, yeah. You just tapped on one of my favourite fascinating thought bubbles there, the the social media filter bubbles. Oh, so How do we prevent um, people only being confirmed in their beliefs versus challenging them? What's your view on that? And also how do you, you know, treat your own social media? Yeah, I think it's um, it's something that we have to be quite active in um, choosing our information. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, for example, on Instagram, I will go to the effort to follow people that are not like me. Um, or if someone co- something comes up on my Instagram, I'm like, why am I following this? I actually do have a conscious moment where I think, actually, this is someone who is from a very different place, probably has very different opinions and perspectives than I do. And it's about kind of being comfortable with those things and those perspectives and the people that you might not instantly connect with. Um, reading books that are not just by the same kind of person. So looking at books that are written by people of colour or women or people living with a disability, like how can we diversify the information that we're taking in? Mm. So this is something that I'm trying to look at in my daily life. How can how can I make sure that I am conscious of the bubble that is forming around me? Wow, so you're very bubble conscious. I'm super bubble conscious. But do you have to – how much time do you have to spend curating and finding these um, different perspective accounts? Is that hard? Do you sort of think about it all the time? Is my balance right? Uh, I think through the work that I do at Undress, I do so much research. Um, I'm looking for speakers. I'm looking for models. I'm looking for writers. I'm always looking for people to work with and, and bring into Undress in some way. So I think I – have it at the back of my mind through the work that I do. Mm. I don't. I wouldn't say that I sit down and put down puts time aside to um, randomly discover <laughs> people. But yeah, it's definitely something that I always have at the back of my mind. And I suppose in fashion, it's all pervasive, isn't it? Because Instagram is everything, and I don't even know is Instagram everything. That should be a question coming from oh, me. I think it's just a love hate relationship, yep, really. Yep. It's. I mean, yeah, they removed likes this week. Very controversial. Yes. Um, How do we feel about that? Uh, I don't really mind at all. Mm. I don't use Instagram as much as the fashion industry does. 
I probably, I always, I feel really guilty about that. Strangely, I feel like I really should post, but there's just a big part of me that just, I just would much rather read an article about something interesting. (laughs) I I think you've nailed it there for me. It's like, if you are choosing to post an image of yourself living your best life or, or, or whatnot and you sort of, there's a thought there that maybe a lot of people don't have about am i pushing a whole bunch of people to consume something that really that they're better off doing other things yeah I mean, not just you but the effect on the that kind of instagram yeah fan, fan base yeah i think if um if sharing content is something that is seamlessly integrated into your life and it's something that just comes so naturally great but for some reason, it's a real effort for yeah. me to update Instagram. I have to be very motivated. Um, I think it's called Curate now. You oh, can't, you sorry can't about that. It's, it's <laughs> going to be like it's a gallery of the perfect uh, yeah. life. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's hard. Like when you have, when you're really passionate about a message and you really want to um, contribute to the conversation, essentially contribute mm. the curated research that I tend to go through week to week. I want to be able to share that in a useful way. Um, but, yeah, it's sort of like does anyone care or does it really matter? Hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I think maybe LinkedIn is my space. Oh, man, I love LinkedIn. I'm so happy <laughs> to hear you say that. I feel like LinkedIn is the geek equivalent of Instagram. I feel mm. like, like those le- less visually capable people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like don't pl- plug a blog post on LinkedIn. I've, <laughs> yeah. I mean, sorry, on Instagram, I've learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are no links. There's no likes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Let's um, take a bit a bit back to the practical. Talk to me about a bit about what is going on with the Undress One Race. What have you got coming up? Um, what are the core activities? Who yeah. are the key players? Yeah, Undress is making a comeback after not having a show for two years, and we are coming back in the most exciting program of oh, I just I, look, I can't even talk I'm so excited you look extremely excited <laughs> so yeah we're coming back with a three-day program and it was really important to us to come back with a program that offered more than just celebrating the aesthetic of fashion labels we really wanted space to be able to delve into deeper discussion around supply chains and sustainability. Um, and as well, again, busting that bubble of the fashion industry. What can we learn from other industries and bring that into fashion? So our conference is actually focusing on um, sustainable, ethical, inclusive initiatives within the creative industries. Uh, for example, how is the music industry tackling their carbon footprint from touring? Um, so I think there's there's so many interesting topics that come out of um, fashion, film, uh, music, theatre, live performance that we can we can bring into fashion and learn from. So that's the conference. Uh, and then the runway show is coming back uh, again, delving a bit more into um, the ethos behind labels. So we're we're reinventing the runway. It's not just a straight up and down runway. We'll have video and live performance. Uh, and then the third day is a um, activation day where designers will have pop ups. We call it undress showroom, mm-hmm. and um, we've got a. Uh, art exhibition and just like a really nice community day. Uh, we're playing, planning on having a big lounge area where people can come and connect and have unlikely conversations for change. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting program. 
How, how are you going to promote? How are you going to prompt those unlikely conversations? What, what if everyone walks into the space and says, "So, what do you do?" <laughs> yeah. So we have this grand plan. It's sort of, uh, I guess, it's it's been done probably a zillion times. It's like the conference app, like the Tinder of mm. conference apps. But we want to have like a spin the wheel. So I think at conferences, often you end up connecting with like minded or natural sort of partnerships, yep. but we want to have a spin the wheel function where you can connect with someone who is like the most unlikely person. I love it. It's like a reverse <laughs> Tinder or yeah. Tinder done by people who are very bad at using Tinder. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then just, yeah, approach it with an open mind and yep. see what you can learn. I've heard of that kind of thing before, like random coffees called World Cafe. Um, oh, they used to have okay. in this big department I worked in where um, if you signed up, they would match your partner and you meet them for a coffee at a certain time. There you and like, go. You'd, you know, just be totally random. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess that's an interesting way to look at it because I think our conferences, people do tend to gravitate to people who they think are more like them or more want the same things. But really it's better for, for everyone if you maybe try and meet more people who want um, the things that, that are different and, you know, look at diverse perspectives and opinions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hmm. There's there's um, something that's come up out of this unlikely conversations for change is um, bringing together someone from financial literacy or I guess banking with slow fashion and ethical an ethical fashion act- activist. And when you kind of cross those over, we're looking at, Ethical fashion tips typically is more expensive mm. than um, unethical fashion because it's made paying fair wages. Uh, and there, there's a big conversation around, you know, ethical fashion is only for people that have a high disposable income. Um, but I think after reading the Barefoot Investor book, it's uh, been really interesting how you can actually save money by having this sort of bucket approach with your money um, and putting money aside each month to save up for an item and how rewarding that can feel yep. rather than having impulse purchases on a Saturday because you've got to go out that night mm. for a party. Um, what can we learn by being more in, in uh, having a sort of more connection to our spending um, and more planning around our spending mm through financial literacy um, and how how can that be a solution within the ethical fashion space? Well, that's very interesting. Mm, Yeah, I'm excited to explore that further. Well, I was going to say, so how do, I mean, how do you bring all these interesting partners in like banking and, you know, different sectors? uh, Do they come to you naturally? And also I want to ask about the ethical fashion space. I mean, have you just formed your own community in that or do you come in and tap into other ethical fashion sub-communities? Um, so read the banking. I actually did email the Barefoot Investor. He said no, he's busy. Fair enough, he's a busy guy. Yeah, sure, he, he could get some shoes but, you know. <laughs> so I'm sure maybe one day he'll come on board. Um, but, yeah, I think we need, definitely need to get um, a sort of financial financial literacy or banking um, partner on board. If there's anyone out there that would like to come on board. Any bankers who love the podcast, uh, please follow up later with Edda. <laughs> um, and then in terms of the ethical fashion community, it is, um, it's such a small but great community. Uh, being down here in Melbourne, so was from Brisbane, mm. moved down here a few months ago. Uh, it's been great to be able to connect with all of the people that I've connected with virtually and actually just have a coffee with people now. 
Um, yeah, but I'm slowly figuring out how how interconnected everyone mm. is, even internationally. You know, we have a an intern or a, a person that works with us in um, Brooklyn, and she's worked with someone who is working also in Australia on something that wants to then partner with us and it's like all interlinked even though um yeah we're crossing borders now yeah it's great that's fascinating so it all really comes together that's it i'm curious about what you said before about like coffees in person versus phone conversations or skype um are you a believer that like it's important to get together with people and that's enriches or technology does the job i think it's important to get together with people particularly when you're meeting them for the first time i think um yeah, conversations are great to, uh, sorry, phone calls are great to get get work done. Um, but I think to be able to connect and meet someone in person, there's so much you can learn from a physical. And I, th- and I think I say that because my team is remote. Mm. And while we get so much work done remotely, the power of just being in the same room, it doesn't compare. Um and not to say that we need to be in the same room every day, but I think having regular kind of catch-ups in the same space makes a big difference. Yeah, I think there's like an energy or like a um, common purpose energy that happens in a space when people are together. And I find that when I work from home, um, I might have more concentration but less collective buzz. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a healthy combination of the two is is ideal. And it's made me realise um, that companies that hesitate with remote work um, I think when it's done right, it's it's not something to mm. worry about at all. It's a cost saver for a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, my gosh, uh, I work from home with my partner and our gas bill came through now that the winter has truly kicked in in Melbourne and it was so high, we no longer run the heater during the day. Oh, man. Uh, which, yeah, which um, has really put in perspective what it must cost to run an aircon or a heater in a workplace. Crazy. Week you you to want week. to stay at work and take advantage of that. <laughs> as long as it's good heating. That's all I say. Yeah. So now I just wear my ski jacket to work. How did you decide that this was for you? Have you always been interested in clothing and fashion and sort of um, what happens behind the scenes? Uh, I, I certainly wasn't a big fashion fan growing up. Uh, I think, I think I, I love running my own business and I can't imagine not running something for purpose. And it's never, I mean, from the, from the age of 20, when I started my first event, um, it just, it just didn't come into the picture that it would be anything that didn't give back. And I don't know why that is. I I always wanted to run a charity event. Mm. Like growing up, I was like, I really want to do a charity event. Um, and I wouldn't say undress is a charity event. We're more of, um, you know, we're promoting a really important movement and, and highlighting, um, an important movement in fashion. But yeah, I, I mean, I did, I grew up, a part of my growing up happened on a boat, uh, on the ocean. So Mm. between the age of five and eight, I sailed from Italy to Australia. That's a great effort. Was it hard? Uh, I'm sure it was a lot harder for my mum than myself. <laughs> uh, I don't remember it being particularly hard. I remember missing my dad and missing my friends. Um, but when you're five, I think you, you're you pretty resilient. What are you thinking about when you're five? Uh, 
Well, I was homeschooled, so I was probably thinking, like, how can I get out of homeschooling yep. today? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was it was a really exciting um, kind of day to day living. So you had like a very adventurous youth. It sounds like sailing the high seas, homeschooling. Do you think? Um, it sounds like you're an entrepreneur, uh, a for purpose entrepreneur from way back, or in the making. Maybe, maybe. I I think that. Growing up with this perspective of how huge the world is and how, uh, and you know, meeting people from island to island, I would have to make friends with new people as soon as we doctored a new place. Um, and there was, I guess, just an appreciation for human beings in general. It was, and we were all equal, like we're all out there, we're all, well, I'm sailing, you're living on this island, and this other person is sailing from another place I think it just gives you this perspective of how maybe how bubble like our existence is in Australia Mm -hmm. and that there isn't a connection to the to people living um living rough in different places in the world um so I think that's at the back of my mind I've always felt I suppose that the world is so much bigger than where I'm living in Australia and perhaps Undress Runways is an effort to bring that world closer um, by sharing stories and letting designers talk about their supply chains and, yeah, I guess connecting everything so that we are connected to the to the bigger world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe that has had a bit of an impact. And so in terms of your own um, practices with regards to clothes, um, tell me how that plays out for you. Did you at one point decide, I'm changing how this is done, Uh, I'm done with commercial fashion, Uh, I need to think more about it, Uh, what was the process? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Well, it's been a while now. So Andres started eight years ago and I guess in the past few years, I, w- I would always be very conscious. I was never a fashion addict. Um, actually, I'm I'm going to say that probably for six months when I was 18, I was a fashion addict. I I um, moved out of home when I was 17. It was the first time I had that freedom of like, if I want to eat a cookie at 11 p.m., I'm going <laughs> to eat it. Like no one's going to tell me that's yeah. a bad thing. <laughs> um, so I think that having that freedom and, you know, even if it was buying like a $20 dress, uh, I think I absolutely went through that stage probably for six months. And then to be honest, I was probably always too broke to really properly indulge in fashion. And then, you know, being a student, I was just like living off hand-me-downs and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, for the last few years, I certainly have been very, very conscious about anything that I buy. Uh, this year, for example, I have not bought anything brand new. Uh, I've I've bought probably three or four items from Savers. In fact, I'm wearing two of them today because it's cold in Melbourne and I moved from Brisbane and uh, I didn't have any winter wardrobe. I had to pretty much put my Brisbane wardrobe in a suitcase and go, well, that, and that's not going to be worn this so year. Do you, is that the, the way you do it? You head down to your local Savers if you need something? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Yeah. I guess I have a very uh, shop if if I need it. Mm. Uh, you, you've got great fashion sense, so it must be easier for you to do that than for some other people who are like, I don't know what to wear. I love that you say that, and I'm wearing like a puffer jacket, <laughs> well, a puffer vest. You're, not, you're, you're comparing to a guy who's wearing like Nike tracksuit pants from uh, about 2006. So. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, I forget the question. Can other people 
do do it like you're able to Absolutely. do it? Absolutely. Does it require a bit of like training? Oh, I've, look, if you go to Savers, it's going to be tricky because the variety is huge and it's just you get a bit lost in yeah. there. But there's so many vintage shops, particularly in Melbourne, um, secondhand shops and ethical designers that we are spoiled for choice. Back in 2011 when we started, there was not a lot of choice. Where do we find, I mean, just say we wanted to buy online or something, what are good places to go? Uh, So depending on your price bracket, I would start with Ethical Clothing Australia, which accredits uh, labels that are manufactured in Australia. Uh, I would also check out Good On You as a rating app. Mm -hmm. I would also check out, I just met a great guy called Jordan who runs a platform called Stride. Mm-hmm. Um, I would check out Stride and uh, well-made clothes, also a big so favourite. There's, there's heaps. There's heaps. And so these are all, it's not hard to just make the decision to tap into this space. Like I think if you want to try things on, you are more limited than online shopping. But I think if you're open to online shopping, yeah, hit up the platforms that stock ethical and sustainable fashion labels um, and, yeah, there's so much variety. And if I decide to buy from um, someone who's certified by Ethical Clothing Australia, am I fairly safe? Is that like a high bar certification? Yeah, I think when it comes to sustainable and ethical fashion, it's such a complex um area and there's so many people that feed into and contribute to one item of clothing so with accreditations it's so hard to accredit a label a hundred percent for example there is a accreditation which accredits brands that don't use child labor Um, but you almost can't uh, accredit something from seed to retail with no child labor um, because it goes through so many processes. So they will accredit it, accredit certain parts of the supply chain. So back to your question about Ethical Clothing Australia, yes, um, this is absolutely a great place to uh, rest assured that the manufacturing is ethical um, and people are paid a fair wage. And um, But then, I mean, you, you can always overcomplicate your life, um, which I say that as a bad thing, but... Uh, when you look at polyester, and I think polyester is a fabric that we probably all own in our wardrobe, and when you wash polyester, microfibers uh, go into the ocean. And so, yeah, I guess an environmental foot just because it's ethically manufactured doesn't mean the environmental footprint is zero. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we could dive into the cotton industry as well, uh, which is full of, yeah, really scary statistics. Do you want to? I mean, I thought we could dive into um, a new segment called um, What Grinds My Gears with Anna Hamer, <laughs> where we discuss uh, one topic that grinds your gears. And the, the one that you raised earlier that might be interesting before we do cotton could be unpaid internships. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's just, it's a really... So you, you, you first have your grind gears rant and then, and then I'll come back and... So I shouldn't okay. call it a rant, your exposition of the issues okay. and then I'll come back and we'll banter it. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't say that uh, 
Okay, I've brought up un- unpaid internships because it's very topical for undress runways. And be- why it's topical is because undress is run by a team of volunteers. And we um, we really rely on a lot of um, students and young people or well, people of all ages to come together and work together on undress runways. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, you know, like we would pay ourselves if we had the money, but we don't. Yep. So I think it's I think unpaid internships are an interesting um topic at the moment because there's a lot of backlash around not paying interns, which I completely understand. Isn't that for wealthier, bigger startup companies that significant funding though, or is that across the board? I would say it's across the board only because we also get um, negative feedback around unpaid internships, um, which is which, you know, one side of me completely understands mm-hmm. because I'm an unpaid, you know, essentially, an in, I'm not an intern, but mm. I'm unpaid. Yeah. And it's so frustrating not to get to a point where I can pay myself. So, yeah. you know, I totally understand that, you know, we all deserve to be paid for mm. our efforts and our and, and our skills and everything that we've built up to. Um, I think that it, this is a really tricky one. I, I was heavily um, criticised by someone a few years ago because when Purposeful first started up, it doesn't run really anymore. It's just sort of events and conferences. But when we started up, I worked with a people just emailing me constantly and saying, can I come and do some work with you at Purposeful? Um, I didn't think too much about it. We weren't making any money at the time. It was just a big idea to yeah. promote purpose-driven business. I'll let a couple of people come in and do some work with us. And over time, um, a few people started to see that and say, hey, you know, this is a very corrupt business model. But these were students who were desperate to get experience in the B Corp um, purpose-driven business space. They would not have got that elsewhere. That's that's why they came to Purposeful. I wasn't making money. None yeah. of us were making money. <laughs> we were just trying to build something together. And I think that um, on reflection, I'm actually quite proud of – giving those people the opportunity because two out of the four have actually ended up at world-class consultancies. One's at Deloitte, uh, one's at another one that I won't name locally. Um, And they've gone on to use me as a referee and done really well out of the time at Purposeful. Yeah. So these these small experiences that people can be quite critical of on the outside can actually be pretty formative for young people who just need an opportunity in the right space. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, we've had similar experiences where the some people that have interned for us have gone on to um get really great jobs. I think mm. I'm probably on a hundred plus um resumes out yep. there as a reference. I'm putting you on mine after this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um you know undress is really about providing opportunities and providing a platform for people, mm. whether it be designers or creatives or the people that contribute to our team, many of which run their own businesses on the side. Yeah. Um but yeah I think it is it is something that really divides people. Mm. Um should you have intern opportunities that are unpaid Mm. um or because i think you know if we didn't have if we didn't do that then we wouldn't exist well so you provide a really valuable way for people to get experience in a really bespoke industry and i think it was the same probably for purposeful so i would say it's definitely critical because um if we just weigh up A versus B, A, you don't offer them. So what would people do? They might not have an opportunity to go into that 
area of ethical fashion. B, you offer them and people have that opportunity to go into that area and you cop a bit of flack. So what's the yeah, balance, yeah. the better result? Yeah, you know, maybe haters going to hate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe that should be the conclusion. <laughs> well, that would, I think that was a good segment. I think we'll keep that one. Okay. Each guest brings along their own kind of tough thing that they're looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Do you want to talk about cotton or happy to leave it? Cotton. Um, I'd love to hear about it because I'm not familiar with the issues in cotton. So I, I'm not a cotton expert, but mm-hmm. I had a really, had a really interesting, interesting discussion with a woman who runs a local business um, called Boomi in Richmond, mm-hmm. and she shared some stories from within the cotton industry. So, and then following that, I have done some research, and I was really shocked about. Um, the impact that cotton has on farmers. And I think a lot of the time we, we talk about cotton and how much water it uses and there's this piece about the organic side of cotton and re- reducing the use of pesticides um, and, and why there is this thing called the suicide belt through India. And at, at the moment um, we lose about approximately 10,000 farmers to suicide every year. And what, what, um, what Vanita told me about the cotton industry is the, the cotton that farmers buy is GM cotton. And this type of cotton doesn't, uh, sow itself. You know, it doesn't, um, it doesn't like a normal plant will keep breeding. Mm. I don't know the Mm. right plant term, but, that means that farmers have to go back every year to buy new seeds to then plant for the next year. Mm. And they get into these debt cycles and the pressure and the stress of the debt cycle gets so heavy that often farmers will take their own lives, leaving the women and children to move into um, areas where they have to work to put a roof over their head and children end up in child labor uh, and you know women even promise their children to that company so the children are essentially born into child labor and it has as you can imagine this detrimental effect and the, the cycle of child labor mm. is so hard to break and I think yeah like we have to crack down on on cotton in terms of supporting GOTS certified cotton, um, which is a certification um, where they don't use chemicals in the production and they and they look after farmers and they are trying to actually break that cycle. So if you see the GOTS certification on a tag, that's the one to buy. That's the one to support. Um, and yes, that's probably all I'm going to say about the cotton industry, but well worth to Google it and just read up on it because it's something that we should all know about. We all wear cotton. That's interesting. So uh, would you say that if you're going to wear clothes, which we all more or less have to, uh, except for some people, but most of us, um, that the the best or least impactful way to do that is to just reuse, so go secondhand shopping? Absolutely, Yeah. I think so I, I, I struggle with this question because I'm a little bit of a, I don't know if purist is the right word, mm. but I tend to take things to the extreme and I'm like, how do I be perfect? Mm. Um, and 
not very healthy. <laughs> um, but in terms of my relationship with clothing, I, you know, I went through a stage where I was like, we just need to stop buying. Like we all have so many clothes. We should just stop buying. I should stop buying. And if I need anything, I can shop secondhand. And then I sort of go through a bit of a different phase where I think we're in a privileged society. Um, If I have a disposable income, then why not support brands that manufacture in areas um, in developing nations where these people are reliant on jobs um, and reliant on people in privileged nations to purchase? So I think that it's not necessarily about 100% don't buy or 100% secondhand. I do think that um, we can have a healthy mix of supporting ethical brands when we can afford it, once we've, when we save up for it. Um, and then, yes, sh- like whether it's shopping secondhand or borrowing from friends or um, renting clothes. So if you have an event on, rent a dress or rent a suit. Mm. Uh, I think there's so many kind of, yeah, that shared economy space. There's so many, many different options, but I still really believe that, you know, if you can afford to support ethical designers, it is, yeah, it's definitely important. So could you take an estimation of your split sort of in terms of how you do things? Are you like a 70%, um, you know, uh, savers and 30% purchase ethical or I think uh, I would probably be, yeah, I'd say 80% secondhand mm-hmm. um, and whether that's from an op shop or a hand-me-down or I've borrowed it and accidentally never given it back mm-hmm. um, uh, and then 20% ethical ethical fashion designers, yeah. And is it good or am I making any difference by keeping my clothes and wearing the same clothes for a really long amount of time, like an abnormally long amount of time? <laughs> Like with holes in them? Uh, <laughs> there may be a hole. Let's not say holes because <laughs> it sounds a bit judgy, but there's, there's a hole. Yeah. It's no. a small hole and it's not directly visible. Absolutely. It's, of course, it's a great idea to hold on to your clothes. And I think the key there is actually investing in quality so that your clothes last. Um, when you are able to invest in sturdy fabrics um, and well-made clothes, then, yeah, why not keep them for as long as you can? My um, My grandmother... Uh, gave me a jacket of hers, uh, which is like this Icelandic winter coat from like <laughs> the 60s. And you look at the stitching and it's it's incredible, um, it, the, the condition that this jacket is in. So, I mean, yeah, if, if, if we can um, extend the lifetime of our clothes then you could hand it down to your children or your grandchildren. I could bequeath it. That's right. Be- bequest your- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Son, on this great day, I give you my tracksuit pants from 2007. Yeah. Collector's edition. <laughs> well, what a great uh, dad I'll be. Um, anyway, what I, one thing I quite like, and this maybe ties into your thoughts about tech and platforms enabling better choices. My wife is um, getting all of her clothes basically from this uh, Gorman thread on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, the Gormies thing yeah. i hear about it all the time yeah and i can see it on the credit card all the time <laughs> but um she that's her way i think of you know she chooses a brand that she likes and she only buys it secondhand from the those facebook communities and partially because it's you know a bit expensive to buy firsthand but i think she also likes the reusability yeah it's amazing how um sort of pre-loved mm. clothing uh is 
the stigma is very quickly coming off mm. pre-loved clothing. Um, it's we, kind of like hips, hipster cool, isn't it, to have pre-loved? I, I feel a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm, I hope it's not a trend. I hope it's a, a, like a strong movement that is going to just be the future. Mm. Um, yeah, but definitely. I think at the end of the day, we have so many clothes in the system, like in wardrobes around the world, we have an abundance of clothes that have already been purchased. It's a matter of, I think, yeah, the next sort of five, ten years is tech, using tech to organize and provide access to those clothes. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure you don't really need to buy anything new anymore because it exists secondhand. For sure. Some kind of resale site or Facebook page sure. or rental sp- place. Uh, it just it takes a bit of effort to find. I heard a really like a similar argument actually about books. Someone was saying that you should avoid the recency bias and like just don't read books that are published recently. Instead, go back five years because there are a lot there there are a disproportionate amount of better books published earlier. Ah. So if you just buy yeah, books right. currently, you're actually missing all the good stuff. Most of the good <laughs> okay. stuff has already been done. It's, maybe maybe people say the same thing about 70s rock and music and yeah, no, 90s yeah, hip-hop. Yeah. It's stuff that you hear fairly often, but it's an interesting way to think about things. Yeah, mm. definitely. How do you look after yourself, given that you're sort of so busy and you know, you're, um, you know, you're, you're building such a, a fantastic thing and it sounds like you're hammer and tong with a whole range of things. How do you make sure that you're in your best possible shape and you're mentally fresh and you're well? Uh, There's so many things that I could be doing, um, but I'd say the thing that I find is most consistent in my life is sleep um, and getting at least eight hours sleep, Mm. which I feel like saying that today sounds really lazy. Super greedy. (laughs) Like, like, Save some sleep for the rest of us, (laughs) Um, But and, And I mean, I don't have any children, so I feel very lucky that I do have an uninterrupted night of sleep. Uh, But I think, yeah, I think sleep is what keeps me sane. When you have enough sleep and you can face challenges with clarity of thought. And I think when you sleep enough, your creative mind, I think there's some science out there and I don't know Mm. exactly what it is, but your ability to be creative is you have the ability to be creative. So in terms of facing challenges in work or problem solving or creating um, whatever it is that day that I need to do, if I've had a good sleep, I'm much more creative. Uh, So I think that's probably the most consistent thing. I do rock climb from time to time Mm -hmm. and I do play netball on Tuesday nights. So you keep your sport pretty regular? I try. Uh, I wouldn't say that I've been super regular the last few weeks uh, with a bit of travel. I've fallen off the rock climbing uh, wall. <laughs> that was a terrible pun. <laughs> I loved it. I, I'm all for the terrible puns. I mean, I'm in full dad mode with my love of bad jokes at the moment. But yeah. that, was, that was good. Yeah. That's awesome. And are you reading or listening to anything right now that you want to recommend that's sort of got you inspired? Um, I actually have picked up a book from – I I want to say 2005, now that you've been saying that all the good books. It's theoretically sound uh, logic there. Yeah, yeah. It's called Quiet and it's oh. about the power of introverts. That's Susan Cain, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you read it? Yes, I think that's a great book. Okay, great. Well, I'm only maybe one chapter in 
and thoroughly enjoying it. I won't spoil it, but introverts are great. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm going through a bit of a phase where I'm not sure if I'm an introvert or an extrovert and maybe... I'm getting to an age where I'm becoming a bit more introverted. I'll ask you a key question. This is sometimes how you can tell. Um, Do you get your energy from being around people or from being around no one? See, this is the thing. Both? Both. Me too. Okay. (laughs) I guess it's a scale. So we're sort of in the middle. Is that? I would say that um, my pattern is if I'm around people for a long period or it's very intense, I want to be around no one after that. Yeah. Um, for like a while. Yeah. Um, I don't like doing too many arrangements with people back to back. Yeah. So it's sort of, yeah. I definitely categorize parts of my day like this is an extroverted part of my day yeah. and now I need some introverted part of my day. Yeah. So I'm definitely aware of um, how I feel after the extroverted part of the day and that's definitely like I just need to yeah. quiet You're, you're down. probably what they call an ambivert where you have aspects of both. Yeah, so right. That's a tricky one. Yeah. <laughs> How can people learn more about your amazing work and connect with you um, online? Uh, Google Undress Runways. Right now you'll see not a lot of information on our website. It is a pink splash page because we are being very cryptic and mysterious. Love it. Uh, but in a couple of weeks we will be launching our full program, so check back in a couple of weeks. Otherwise, hit me up on LinkedIn, um, Edda Harmer. Not heaps of Etahamas in the world, so should pop up. Oh, man, I've been saying, hey, Mark, do I need to change that? No, that's okay. That okay. happens. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Awesome. At least you said Edda. A lot of people say Eda, so there's, there's a think, point. I think that's very tolerant of you. Get half your name right <laughs> and you're happy. You're, you're the best guest. Thanks so much for stopping in. <laughs> no worries. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. Why not share the podcast with a friend? You could also leave us a five-star review in your podcast player. You may also want to join us for one of our regular live podcasts or to become a show sponsor. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.